As we saw this morning, we kind of began with the uh, introductions and on this Mount of Beatitudes. Some believe it to be the Mount Tabor. It's an interesting slope, so perhaps maybe there doesn't really much matter. What impresses me is that the multitudes would climb the Mount to hear the greatest teacher that ever lived. Well worth it, I'd have to say. So seeing the multitudes, he went up to the mountain and said, disciples came unto him and said, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So that's where we are here tonight, the meek. And as we learned this morning, uh, Jesus said, uh, come unto me all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest, take, your, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest under your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Our Lord Jesus, meek, not weak, but meek. And it takes a lot, by the way, to accept the ridicule and the scorn, the vituperation, the spittle, the uh, mocking, the slapping across the face, the plucking of the beard, the striking on the back, and the crucifying of the hands and the feet. It takes a lot to say nothing in react to the reaction to that. The injustice. But because of his temperament, because of this godly spirit that was within him, he receives all of this with great meekness. Uh, of course, this is intensified when we realize what he was able to do at any moment. He could have summoned the, uh, the hosts of heaven. He is, after all, Lord Sabaoth. He could have commanded in the, uh, the thousands, the millions of angels, could have filled the circumstance immediately and cleared the place. But uh, he remains wonderfully humble. And so, as Philippians 2 says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, and he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Finding himself in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Uh, so we ruminate on that thought, and uh, it's, it's deeper than any of us could ever go when we think of what uh, price Jesus pays, the humility that he demonstrates. And this must, must make all believers loathe arrogance and pride. And when we see it, um, hopefully we don't see it rising up in us too much. I think we chastise ourselves. We realize, as we saw this morning, self-abasement. Come to the place where we say, I am nothing. Uh, just a speck here, you know, and that God is that marvelous to show mercy to worms. So he's willing to do that. The lower we get, by the way, the higher our estimation of the glory of God. Away with this nonsense of familiarity with the, the Father. They used to use the expression, oh, the man upstairs. I mean, that is blasphemy, right? The man upstairs, <laughs> your creator that you'll bow before and every knee will bow before. You're going to call him that? I don't think so, but we've got people familiar, you know. The modern translations love to take the word Lord and Christ out mm -hmm. of the title. They want to just Jesus, that's all. So it's just a man after all, you know. It's not Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him all the title that he deserves. Don't strip any of it away from him. Uh, and so to see him meek, and our Lord demonstrates this, this marvelous attribute, and then, of course, he instructs us now in the Beatitudes to be like him. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the day is coming. So all the arrogant, all the pride, 
prideful ones, all the ones that are in political power right now, all those that uh, have authority over uh, their little fiefdoms, that's going to be gone. And, and Jesus is going to say uh, to the humble, he says, step up here, here, we want to put you in charge of the city of Pittsburgh. We want to, you know, <laughs> and, you know, to the chagrin of all the high and mighty in the world. Oh, what a day it's going to be, beloved, when the king comes. So we have this passage here and says uh, in Colossians 3, uh, put on therefore the elect of God, holy, beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. Of course, there's a close resemblance between humbleness of mind and meekness. Uh, hardly discernible the difference between the two. And of course, meekness has to do with, the, with actually acting, you know, on uh, humility. You can have humility uh, and be placed in a circumstance where we don't act on the humility. That's what meekness is. It's, it's, it's humility in action. It's actually doing something, not just talking about it. And so Colossians continues, if any man have a quarrel against any, if even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let peace, the peace of God, rule in your hearts. And so here's, here's a person that cannot be perturbed. Here's a person that does not lose it. We hear that all the time. What an expression, right? I lost it. I tell the story often, but it was, uh, well, it must be 20 years now, but uh, up in my office, and they came in, you know, and they had a little baby, one-year-old twins. They brought the, you know, double uh, babies into the office, and they were having marital issues and uh, arguing and all this immaturity, shouting and whatever else they were, angry words. Just, I mean, really, it's just, that's child's play. Shame on any adult, adults acting like that, but it's what we have today. People think they have the right. And they told me their problems, and their problems really insignificant problems, no, no big thing here, nothing, nothing of major purport that couldn't be resolved simply by the Spirit of Christ, but I don't know that they really understood the gospel at all. Uh, they came here simply because they heard that I don't charge anything for the counseling. I mean, that's how pathetic that is. Free counseling must not be worth much, I guess, if it's free. <laughs> And really, I failed them because they uh, got into an argument, I guess, one day. The, the, the husband went out to the kitchen, got a, a butcher's knife that long, and stabbed her 30 times in the chest. Just uh, incredible. Um, when I finally saw him down at the, they had him up on the psych unit in the jail there, which is not always easy to get in. And um, so I got in, and uh, there he was sitting there in a daze and so forth, and I said, what happened? He said, I lost it. Yeah, you sure did. Yeah, you lost it, all right. So, beloved, listen, um, if you have that trigger temper, temper you know, you, you can jump to, to, right into action and say, be careful about that very dangerous prospect, and certainly not Christ-like. So if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave, so do you, you know. You've been forgiven, you forgive. And above all these things, put on charity, right? That is uh, agape love the bond of perfectness the peace of God ruling in our hearts so uh, he goes on another beatitude blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled weren't we just singing fill my cup Lord we're thirsty uh, we, we pine for true 
revival, for the people of God to be on fire for God, to be at the ready to speak in his name and to, uh, and to be a, a great influencer amongst those that we have conversation with on a daily basis, that, that, that they would know that Christ lives in that man. Christ is in him. And believe me, that'll make a big difference because everybody goes through trouble and tribulation. And when that happens, they don't want to hang with the gang that's telling the dirty jokes at that point. They actually want to come to you because you have something of substance. And they will come to you because you've been shining a light all that time. And when the hour of their great distress comes, you'll be at the ready and you'll have the word in your heart already and you'll be able to point them to the way, the truth, and the life. Let us hunger and thirst after righteousness. Of course, those are spiritual qualities. The hunger and thirst is a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst. You'll remember in chapter 6 of John, we have the great miracle of 5,000 being fed with loaves and fishes. And uh, when they took shipping, they wanted to where, where did Jesus go? The next day, they're looking for the free lunch, you know. And they want to know where he is. They're thinking about making him a king, as a matter of fact conversation had gone up uh, so of course Jesus now in the meekness of his spirit he hides from them in the meekness of, of the spirit of Christ when the devil says all these kingdoms are in my power to give to you if you just bow down and worship me and the meekness of Christ he could have said they're mine anyway he, instead he, he rebukes him with the word itself right tempt, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God and so when they finally find him on the other sea uh, on the other side of the sea Where'd you go? They're wondering where he was and so forth. He said, labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, for him hath the Father sealed. And then the discourse, the first I am discourse of the seven in the Gospel of John. In this case, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, he said. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Now, what's he talking about? Physically? No. He's talking about spiritually. When we find Christ, we're on empty, aren't we? And we, we need to come to the filling station. <laughs> I don't know. I've been better, but I've run out of gas a number of times. And uh, I never forget running out of gas. Going up uh, Route 22, as you're going up uh, past the shop and save and, and, and by Popeyes and that area, and I was just hoping to get to the gas station, and I ran out of gas, going up the hill, and I, bloop, 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 you know, doing that and so forth. I said, oh, no. I thought I was going to make it, and I couldn't even get to that Sunoco station that was there. And I said, I said now here are all these cars, right, honking the horn and so forth, and i got to wait until they all pass me up, and then I start creeping back downward. And I'm looking in my rearview mirror. There's cars coming up and so forth. I've got to get the car down and get it. And I better pull it into the very first parking lot. I pulled it in. Carl's Tavern. I'm thinking. And you know, the owner of the Carl's Tavern, I was in a rock band with him in high school. I could have probably gone in and he probably would have helped me, right? I mean, at least he had some alcohol to put in the tank. But at any rate, I said, what am I going to do now? You know, somebody sees me in Carl's Tavern. This is terribly embarrassing so, I was empty I was on empty it's foolish to run on empty not good for the gas tank either I called my buddy Danny Peretic and I said Dan I'm in trouble here I said uh, you know I went up to the Sunoco I bought gas but it's not starting 
what, what should I do? And he, he gave me the instructions, and he said, don't let that happen again. He said, you're going to ruin your gas, your fuel pump, and so forth. And I said, well, it's my wife's fault. And anyway, <laughs> believe me, it isn't. She, she's got a quarter tank, and oh, I've got to pull in, get, get gas. I said, what are you worried about? we got plenty. <laughs> I go right down to that E, because I know there's another five gallons after the E, right? You guys have no mercies. <laughs> I don't think there is. Rich, did you ever pick any of those people on the uh, turnpike? Out of gas. Idiots, right? They passed up those signs and said, I'll get the next one. And so Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me will never hunger. I tell you what, we'll be filled constantly. Real revival is, is a permanent fullness of the Spirit of God. And I'm all for it. I'm all for anything that will bring anybody closer to Christ sounds like a good idea to me. So go do it, by all means. Now, you better believe the devil's going to do what he can to get involved in it. But uh, too many of the revivals, even historically, were just emotional. Yeah. And if they're just emotional, it's not going to last. Yeah. We want something that's permanent. Amen. We want what Jesus is talking about here. He says, if, if you eat the bread of life, you'll never hunger again. You'll never thirst again. That is a constant fullness of the Spirit. Amen. And that's what we desperately need. And we can't be half-hearted with this. We can't be running on empty. We need the fullness of God's Spirit always, Amen. every day of our lives. So uh, the old formula, if you like uh, formulaic theology, is one baptism, many fillings. Many fillings. So Jesus said if you... Eat the bread of life, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. We are indeed in a dry and thirsty land, as the psalmist notes. O oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Now, believers, we need to be hungry and thirsty for the things of God. There are too many distractions in the world that come in and they cloud our vision and so forth. Many things are necessities, I understand that. There are temporal things and duties that all of us must attend to. But when they become um, the central focus of your life, you're making a terrible mistake. You will dry up. You'll be fruitless after a while. It has to be the kingdom of God first. We have to hunger and thirst for God like this man does, as though we're in a desert seeking water. And, doing, and stretching every nerve to get to the oasis. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Those are the last promises of the Bible. It's a whosoever promise. The spirit and the bride say, come drink freely. And so it's not as though there's some prohibition here. It's not as though you're not allowed to go to the fountain. No, no, we're all invited to come. The spirit and the bride says, they say, come and drink. And not just drink, but drink as much as you want, be as full as you want, and freely. We think of the rich man in hell, we mentioned him this morning, and in hell he lift up his eyes being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Send Lazarus that he might dip his finger in water, cool my tongue, I'm tormented in this flame. There'll be an eternal thirst for those who never thirsted for things that are eternal. Sad to say, this rich man had it all. But when he died, he had nothing. He didn't even have a drop of water to drink. 
our precious Lord on the cross, of the many things that he endured, thirst was one of them. Uh, death by crucifixion in an arid country like uh, the Middle East, very difficult. Uh, many died of dehydration. Now there's no doubt in my mind that after the beating that Jesus received, and after toting that heavy patibulum, that horizontal beam of the cross up to Calvary, oh he had some help a little bit later on, but he must have been, I mean, dried out before he even got to the cross. Now I know you saw the movie and Charlton Heston got a, a pitcher of water and brought it to him, but there's nothing like that in the Bible. There was no mercy shown to him. And as he gets up finally to the cross, they nail him to the cross and now really the intense agony. You know, the psalmist captures it in Psalm 22, I think I have up here. So I am poured out, he says, like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it melteth in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, dried up pottery. My tongue cleaveth uh, to my uh, jaws, and thou hast brought me unto the dust of death. You can feel the thirst. And yet Jesus does not utter, I thirst, until after three hours of agony on the cross. And so you say, well, surely you thirsted before that. Oh, no doubt. But he wasn't pining for physical thirst. Why do we find him saying, I thirst, and when do we find it? Right after he says, Eli, Eli, lama sapachtana, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was thirsting for the presence of the Almighty, the indivisible triune Godhead. For this moment, the divisibility, a, a miracle of divisibility, for whatever way we can try to understand it, the Father turns away from the Son. He now becomes a sin sacrifice in toto. And thus, for the first time in eternity, the Son is separated from the Father. Thus he cries, I thirst. I think if he had finished the sentence, if instead it was an ellipsis, as I must think that it was, he is quoting this psalm that we just saw. He was thirsting for God in a dry and thirsty land where no water was. He was fulfilling Psalm 42. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul longeth, yea, fainteth for God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my uh, meat day and night as they continually say to me, where is thy God? Which is what they were saying to Jesus at that moment on the cross. Where is your God? Where is your God? Why didn't he come to save you? He must have been quoting Psalm 42 or Psalm 63 or one of those Psalms. His thirst was for the living God. So let us follow him in this thirst. Let us do hunger and thirst after righteousness. In the 23rd Psalm, you know, again, this... Uh, those few but precious people there that assembled today had gladdened my heart that they came in. The one lady apparently had sympathy on me. And so she said, I'll go collect people. I don't know how she coerced them. I was ready to go out and offer candy bars. <laughs> yeah, come in. Come in and hear the gospel. And so cookies. I could have taken Cindy's cookies there. 
So Psalm 23, I, we recited it together. And of course, we, we, he, that, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness, right? For his name's sake. Paths of righteousness. They hunger and thirst after righteousness. When will God's people long for righteousness? Uh, I think I, I sent out a, a text here. Some of you probably didn't understand what I was uh, aiming at, but in the Asbury revival, we've got a, a, a man that Yahoo is putting on the front page as being the face of the revival, and he's homosexual. And uh, so they have that. They know right away. They know what's going on right away. Christians don't, but they know. And they put him on the front. He's the picture of the revival. And you can find it there on Yahoo News. You know, it's the most liberal news there is. And they do a little blurb on him that he is he's an active homosexual, but he is uh, celibate. So he's oh. celibate. And uh, so, don't judge me. right? Yeah. So it's okay to be homosexual. And this is exactly what Virginia Mullencott says and the rest of them, you know, the homosexuals on the NIV committee and all, they, they say the same thing. No sin in that. The Catholics have been saying it for a long, long time. Nothing wrong with being homosexual as long as you don't act on it as a priest. And that's where they are with it. Yeah. The problem is homosexuality is condemned by God. And so when a person becomes born again, truly saved, he needs to renounce the old life. He needs to renounce what God renounces. He calls it an abomination. Call it an abomination. But uh, so what's he doing on the you know ad hoc committee? of the revival doesn't belong there but nobody's going to judge him and this is what we have today you see and so inclusive and the devil's all about that right he'll spoil any revival if he gets his chance but it must be a revival of righteousness it must be that no less than that and that calls for repentance that calls for renouncing the old life and having nothing to do with it and giving no credence to it so I mean imagine uh, what the Lord here is telling us hunger and thirst after righteousness so follow peace with all men we'll learn this in just a bit maybe this week I think we'll get to this verse follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord well, that's pretty restrictive there isn't it no man will see the Lord so you see that God is calling us to holiness righteousness wants us to be righteous people so that we understand you know these things are okay lost the battery is that what it was this morning somebody said now you see when I come in in the morning on Sunday morning no offense to anybody but I've got a lot of things I have to do up here and so people come up to me and I forget to do certain things like this so as a result, you have to pay the price now. It's not bothering me. It's just uh, there's a lot I have to do to prepare, to get things ready, and so forth. And I'm complaining about it. <laughs> there's. How's that? Yeah. You only get so many hours out of these batteries, and they have to, you have to recharge them. Now you see, if I don't put them in the charger, I'm going to be sorry next week. I'm going to leave them there. Okay, so we had a little interruption. 
Let's get to the next one. And so blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So, uh, oh God, help us to be merciful people. To show mercy. Um, now we've got folks that live in sin and we're glad because we came from terrible sinful pasts. God showed us mercy. We want to show them mercy as well. Uh, now that doesn't mean that we condone their sin. Yeah. Showing mercy doesn't mean that at all. Showing mercy says there's forgiveness. Christ can forgive and transform and change people. Yeah. Uh, so that's the kind of mercy that's involved. We want to show that kind of mercy. What We think of our magnanimous Lord hanging in terrible agony on the cross. When you're going through that kind of pain, you, be, you would have to physically become self-absorbed. You, you are thriving to stay alive at that point. You're doing all you can just to get the next breath. The last thing on your mind is what other people might be going through. But you'll note that Jesus here, and sometimes I, I have to take umbrage with how he's portrayed on the cross at times because he almost looks languid. There's no such thing. When you're dying of the cross, it's constant irritation. There, there's no relaxation. There's no moments of just sighing. Yeah. He's constantly doing all that he can just to get the next breath. When the thief next to him says, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he didn't say it uh, with that fluidity. Again, he's suffering too. Yeah. And so it's probably broken up between gasps. Lord, remember me. That's what I'm thinking here. He can hardly breathe. They're, they're dying of, 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 of 20, 30 different problems, right? Gangrene is setting in at this point. Um, you've got dehydration that's happening. You've got mental anguish. All of this is, uh, is coming on in a symphony of physical agony that you're suffering. And then you have to push yourself up just to get the next breath. So I don't think that it's as fluid as you think. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. We can say it. But it must have been a great effort for him to get that up, but well worth it. The sinner's prayer is always worth it, whatever the effort is. And Jesus has to give forth the same. This day, thou shalt be with me in paradise. So, amazing that he shows mercy in an hour like that. I think mostly we would think of the people that are assembled down below us and we would think, you're going to get yours one day for what you've done. A vengeance would be in our heart. This is an injustice that needs to be redressed, and it will be, certainly, in the great assize. But Jesus is consumed with mercy. Now he is inviting us to be merciful too. We've all been the object of his mercy let us now spread it abroad where we go. So blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Psalm 18 speaks of mercy. With the merciful thou wilt show thyself merciful. And with an upright man thou shalt show thyself upright. With the pure thou wilt show thyself pure. And with the froward thou shalt show thyself froward. Uh, so that's an even recompense. This 
Well, what can we call it? It is one of those great places in the Bible that you uh, want to cut out, so to speak, and uh, make it your own promise. Micah 6, 8. So he has showed thee, O man, what is good. Oh, so, so he's showing us what is good. Get your notebooks out then, right? Time to take notes. And what doth the Lord require of thee? Well, let's write down what does he want. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. So there we have it. Uh, you might say what, what Solomon said, this is the whole duty of man. Well, you know, it's just a summation of Christian virtue. It's what God expects of the redeemed. So what is it? Do justly. And make sure and to make sure you love mercy love mercy and then walk humbly with God there's no place for the for the uh, the boasters and the bloviators no no God has no use for this pride is the thing that brought Satan down and it will bring us down as well so show mercies he says show mercies the next chapter is the sixth chapter there we will find the golden prayer the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And in it, we have the notion and concept of divine forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. But then he gives a comment. A comment on this. So you say, that's the end of the prayer. Not really. He had something more to add to this forgiveness. And that was, for if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And that makes us stop for a while. And anybody has a grudge against somebody and says, I'm sorry, you know, I'm not going to forgive and so forth. <laughs> if you've been forgiven, we must forgive. You've been shown mercy then you show mercy. It's as simple as that. Paul says it a little differently, but it's really the same verity. Be ye kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So, what for? to forgive as Christ forgave you? Yep, that's how it has to be. And that takes us, well, that takes us to the ultimate. This is what true Christian love is all about to love as Christ did love. Oh, what, several weeks or months ago, we were in Romans. Look at this 12th chapter. I, I noted that this is one of the great, uh, you know, instructional chapters. Uh, my Tuesday Zoom Bible study, we're going to be getting into the great chapters in the Bible, at least the, the great contexts. And uh, this will certainly be one of them, I'm sure, as we get uh, to Romans 12. It's one of our favorite places. And it teaches practical Christianity. So he says, recompense no man evil for evil. Recompense means don't pay back. Recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest uh, in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather um, give place. Right? to wrath for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay saith the Lord therefore if thine enemy hunger feed him if he thirsteth give him drink for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head 
so I explained this when we were in Romans. I, I guess everybody remembers the lesson very well, which is, you know, it's really, that was another kindness. It sounds good. People like the last part. Oh, yeah, right. I'll get some coals of fire, put it on his head. I like that idea. No, 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 no. That's a man that's going down into the pit. You know, he's going down into Gehenna. And the, the uh, perpetual fire is down there. It's cold in the house. And so he's going down to get coals of fire. He wraps it, you know, in kind of a towel. He puts it on his head. He's coming back up, climbing up that precipitous slope and uh, going back into his house there somewhere in the uh, suburbs of Jerusalem. And uh, he's your enemy, and he's coming up, and you see him struggling, and he's getting up there, and you say, uh, uh, or he's coming down, and you're going up and struggling up and so forth. And here he's coming down, and he's having a hard time just even getting down to get the coals. And you say, you know what? Here, take mine. And you put your coals of fire on his head, and you go back and get some more for yourself. <laughs> would you do that for an enemy? You would. If, he, if you had the Christ-like spirit, this is what Jesus teaches us. These are kingdom promises, aren't they? Uh, and there are a lot of people that are satisfied and say, well, we'll wait till we get to the kingdom and we'll do all that stuff, you know, and so forth. <laughs> you know, it's actually good for you now. Ultra-dispensationalists say you can't accept anything that Jesus teaches. That's, for a that's a different dispensation. We're under a different dispensation. The ultra-dispensationalists, and I believe that there are dispensations, but I don't believe that we don't listen to the teachings of Jesus? Are you out of your mind? They won't listen to any of what Isaiah or Jeremiah has to say. They're all about the New Testament. Uh, and they're all about the epistles. They're all about uh, Paul's writings and, and so on. And I say, you're missing an awful lot here. There's a lot of good things here, practical teachings. Are you going to tell me the Sermon on the Mount? Well, it's, it is certainly kingdom. And it will be the rule that, uh, that we have, the law of the kingdom, no doubt. But Jesus is giving it to us now because the kingdom of God, he said, it does not come now with outward observation. For the kingdom of God, he said, is within you. And so all of these beatitudes are now emblazoned upon the escutcheon of our heart. And we wear them and live them and we strive to please God in these beatitudes. So he says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. God wants pure-hearted people. Uh, purify our hearts, Lord. It was David that prayed the penitential psalm. I mean, what a, what a grave disappointment to see and read those accounts of David. Um, we lament to see the downfall of a believer like that, the apple of God's eye, to see him given over to creature lusts. Uh, and to fulfill his lusts on another man's wife. Oh, disgusting. Then to kill the man. Yeah. I mean, we just look away from it and say, what? How could this be? Just so you know, we're all capable. Everybody in the room is capable of the worst kind of things. Don't you think for a minute that you can't be tempted and drawn into these sins? Of course you can. That's why abstain from all appearance of evil. We don't want to be anywhere near something that could compromise us. Pure in heart. God wants us to be pure in heart. So David writes in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and restore a right spirit within me. Uh, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. Create in me the clean heart. We want, we want the clean, purified heart that, that pleases Almighty God. We see it in Christ 
and we long to be as he is. In fact, we're ordained and predestined to become made in the image of Christ. Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, them he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Uh, and th this comes, of course, from the cleansing of, of the washing of the water of the word. The bride in Ephesians 5, you know, is cleansed by the washing of the water by the word. Jesus says in John 15, 3, Now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Peter says, seeing then that you're purified your souls and the obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now I know some of you guys are probably tired of me saying, hey, come up to the front and whatever. I'm trying to create something that can't, I can't create. But what I would like to see, love to see, is the people of God forged together. Uh, we can't have our own little lives. We need each other. Uh, there's the nexus of God's Holy Spirit that unites his people. And th that's what I'm trying to do. And, and again, I'm trying to do it, and that's why it doesn't work. But um, I, I long to see it. Spontaneous love for the brethren. Fervent love for the brethren. Coming together instead of standing at a distance and saying, no, no, I want to be, be a part. I want to I join forces with the greatest army that has ever been assembled. The Church of Jesus Christ, the Church militant, right? We've got to stand together. We'll surely uh, you know, hang hang alone, right? So we've got to we've got to stand together. And believe me, we need this more than any other time. And we've got all these peculiar characteristics, and we've got people who have different attitudes and issues and so forth. And we all have this. Uh, and you bug me, and I bug you, and uh, okay. I hope we all understand that, you know, when you're pointing your finger, you've got three pointing back at you. You know, you, you, I know you might have a hard time putting up with me. I have a hard time putting up with you. Okay, so we all have to decide that, you know, this is something that, that God has called us to do. Fervently. With a pure heart. And I, I tell you, uh, that's what the spirit of revival is, is with the church united. And... Um, the devil does everything he can to divide us. I can tell you that right now. And so let's not let it happen, that's all. And you say, well, that person. And forget your attitude already, right? That's not a B attitude right there, right? It's a bad attitude. You have to have the right attitudes. So so um, well, that's just one of many verses we can go to. Men and brethren, uh, book of Acts, right? Men and brethren, you know how that... A, a good while ago, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Paul was trying to bring the Jews and the Gentiles together, and it was a hard task because they had years of distrust for each other. And as a result, that kept them at a distance. And it grieves the Spirit of God that you can't bring these two seemingly opposite forces together by the nexus of the Holy Ghost. It should be a possibility. And Paul longed for it and hoped for it. 
and was disappointed by the attitude of some because their attitude was such that they rejected the notion and said the Gentiles will never have anything to do with them. James tells us, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you and cleanse your hearts, ye sinners, right? Or, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, purify your heart, ye double-minded. So, uh, cleaning the heart out, cleaning the mind out, and being where we're supposed to be before the Lord. And this is all very difficult to do if you're going to tune into the uh, the blood fest that they call uh, police shows on television. What is it? NYPD or uh, NICS or I don't know what they're called. Something like that. It's all violent stuff. You know, solving murder mysteries and so forth. What God people? Have, what what would God's people have to do with this? We're thinking, you know, and so on. We're all wrapped up in fiction. When we've got the great reality before us, and there's not much time left for us to fritter it away. So we want to find ourselves occupying until he comes. Be in the word. Study the word. Get, get yourself prepared. Because we, we don't know what sort of circumstance we'll be facing. We want to be prepared and uh, a ready mind. So uh, purify your, uh, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So we don't want to be double-minded. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. This is what the Bible tells us. We're an enemy to God if we do this. So the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy, wants first place. And let's be sure we give it to him and, uh, and put his cause first and above all other things. You're all with me tonight. So um, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Well, I'm glad that, what, what a gladsome note this is. Well, we don't see him now, that's for sure. Doesn't Peter say that? Uh, whom having not seen, ye love, though now, though you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Having the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The end of your faith. Yeah, faith. What's, faith is believing in something you cannot see. Our faith will soon become sight. Uh, for our dear Peg, that's already happened, right? She's gone. You say, oh, she's gone. No, she's not. She's, she's somewhere else, but she's not here. But, you know, she, she's anything but gone. She's, a, she, she's beholding the face of the Savior. When people suggest to me, you know, they're watching us from heaven. No. I said, they've got better things to see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see me? <laughs> they're not interested in this. They're occupied. They preoccupied. They see the face of the Lamb of God. You know, there's that simple line in Revelation 22, 5, it says, they shall see his face. They shall see his face. You know, we'll go skip right to the next verse because it's so brief. But, whoa, wait a minute. What does this mean? Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. So when he comes, he'll be glorified in his saints and admired in all them that believe. So we're going to see him as he is. John tells us, uh, he that hath this hope in himself purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So uh, it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but yet when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And that makes all the difference. In Habakkuk, it says, well, they shall see God as brightness was as the light. Uh, the, the horns were coming out of his hands, rays of salubrian power. This was the hiding of his powers. 
when he returns, but unto you that fear, I think this is uh, Malachi, yeah, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings or his horns or however you want to describe this power that he comes, he comes with power just uh, uh, emanating forth from him. So wherever he goes, you know, those that stand in his presence will uh, be objects of that affection and recipients of the glory of that power. Um, boy, when I was a kid, you, you bought all those sugary uh, cereals because they had prizes in it, right? So Frosted Flakes with Tony the Tiger. And I mean, you talk about, I mean, it's just pure sugar, right? And it's some cornflake in there. But as soon as I'd rip open, I'd put my hand down in the box. And I don't know for what reason they'd put the prize at the bottom of the box. And it was hard to get to, but I'd get to it. I wanted that prize because what was it? It was a glow-in-the-dark frogman. So I wanted that in the worst way. And glow-in-the-dark. And a frogman, okay, uh, you put the baking soda in his foot, and then you put him in a bathtub, and blah, 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 you'd see, you'd see the air bubbles coming up, you know, and suddenly it's Lloyd Bridges and see, at any rate, it glows in the dark. But you had to take the frogman, and you had to put it in front of a light for several hours. And what it was doing was it was absorbing the light. I don't really understand how this works. It's really a marvel that there are certain substances that work this way. And the, and the light that it gives off is, I, I think they call it opalescence. So, so it's, a, it's a kind of a reflective light, uh, but it's storing the light. And then in the dark, it's glowing in the dark. And I mean, that's something you could take to bed with you and not be afraid of anybody coming after you in the middle of the night. At any rate, when the master comes, this light that shines forth from him will lighten us, won't it? They looked unto him, Psalm 34 says, they looked unto him and were lightened. Their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. They looked unto him and were lightened. Well, you say, well, yeah, he, the burden is lifted. Yeah, yeah, but I think lightened here, he's talking about you're actually going to be, there's some kind of photosynthesis that's involved. You're going to be reflecting his light. And so standing in his light, in his light we shall see light as we've never seen it before. They shall see God. So we're looking forward to it and what a purifying hope it is. I already gave you this verse so we understand it. And... Uh, so we have blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God let's never forget that one of the divine appellations of the five that are found in Isaiah 9 6 unto us a child is uh, given unto us a son is born the government shall be upon his shoulder his name shall be called wonderful counselor the mighty God the everlasting father and the prince of peace the prince of peace and uh, his kingdom is going to be a kingdom of peace. The angel announced it that night at his birth. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so his kingdom on earth, the, the prince of peace is coming. That'll end Putin's Russia yeah. uh, aggression and uh, uh, Chairman Xi and his threats uh, to the uh, 
uh, Koreans. It's going to be a different world. And it's going to be a, a gladsome place, by the way. Uh, they will learn war, Isaiah said, no more. They'll take their swords and beat them into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. We'll become agrarian, the world, right? In World War I, they boasted that this would be the war to end all war. Wilson was supposed to keep us out of the war, but he got us in it. And, uh, but the pronouncement was, it will be a war that ends all war. Yeah. Right? And what we have uh, 30 years later, World War II. Yeah. It didn't end any wars. World War II certainly seemed that way. The millions that died, uh, just incredible. Three crazy people. Three crazy people, right? Hirohito in Japan. You've got Mussolini in Italy, and then that madman Hitler in Germany. And caused all of that chaos. When when looks you look at these situations and wonder how could it have happened? World War Two and then of course following immediately the Korean War. People so tired of fighting wars, they said, Draw a line and get out of there. What a mistake that was. MacArthur knew what to do, but they silenced him. The politicians didn't want any more of MacArthur. And then, of course, we had all these, the Cold War. We, many of us grew up during that era, and we knew what that was all about, the threat, constant threat of nuclear annihilation, and the salt talks and salt treaties and all this that went on. You know. Then, of course, Vietnam. Kennedy got us in Vietnam, um, and uh, Johnson kept us there. And Goldwater said, they said to him, could you get, can you stop the war? He said, yep. He said, they said, how soon? He, he goes, puts his hand up. It's two, they said. What, two years? No. Two months? No. Two days. That's what he said. Of course, he wanted to go and fight a war the way you're supposed to fight it. Fight it to win it. But it was a proxy war. We weren't fighting Vietnamese. We are fighting China. You know, sooner decimate a troop, they've got new troops coming in from China. And that's all that was. We're fighting a proxy war right now. Ukraine is not fighting a war. America's fighting a war. So we have the Iraq war after that. We have the Serbian-Bosnian war. We have the Afghanistan war. Now we have the Ukrainian war. It's no, no end to it. Not going to happen. There'll be some peace arrangement that comes at a certain point, and, and everybody will sit down again. We'll be friends again with Putin, and you know, trade will happen all over again. You know, Nixon went over, shook hands with the communist Chinese, and said, you know, we're going to bring Coca-Cola to China. Look what's happened. Look what's happened as a result. All right. I think we all long for peace, don't we? But there'll be no peace. They'll say peace, peace, then sudden destruction will come upon them. But he said, blessed are the peacemakers. So we should always hope for that Amen. peace. Amen. But there's also peace sometimes we need it right here on earth. Mm-hmm. Sometimes husbands and wives. I spoke about it this morning briefly, didn't I? I said sometimes it's just best to agree, right? Why people argue. It's so senseless. It's, it's so puerile, childlike. I want people to think that when they start their arguments. But you know, Jesus is the peacemaker. Amen. He can bring them together. Amen. I don't know of any other hope. When people come to me for some counseling, I say, you know what, I, I don't have any answers. He does. Jesus has some answers. He'll give you permanent peace. Go to secular counselors, they don't have the, what are they going to give you? 
a lot of them counsel you to get a divorce. That's where, that's where they are today. They actually say, you know what, you're not compatible. You should get a divorce. I mean, what kind of a counselor does that? Or you can tune into Oprah or Dr. Phil oh, and get their secular advice. But I, I think it's far better to go to the wonderful counselor who is a peacemaker and he can bring peace. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable and gentle easy to be entreated that's the word of god full of mercy and good fruits without partiality without hypocrisy and the fruit of the righteous is sown in the peace of them that make peace indeed blessed are the peacemakers i thought i'd get to the end of the beatitudes but we're going to leave one for sunday morning and that is blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven there are people while we're speaking in North Korea that are being bludgeoned as Christians. There are hateful people there in North Korea. Yeah. The, little, the little man over there. And he has every intention here to kill Christians. Amen. They're dying. Uh, while we have it so easy here in America, truly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm in favor of our young ladies who are baking and saying look we're going to we want to raise some support for voice of the martyrs and uh and here i just vowed off sugar and i'm thinking well maybe i'll have a cupcake or two i don't know i think it's a worthy cause to support and i'm proud of young ladies that would think in in that way that's thinking beyond yourselves uh, proud of the young people that were involved in the Operation uh, Christmas uh, Child. So you did that. Um, start thinking about others. Start understanding we all have too much. We have too much. And start thinking, what can I do to make another person's life better? This is Christ-like. So we'll have much more to say about blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake so lord uh what a fascinating study we have before us and we're just scratching the surface here now you help us lord to get everything we can from it all of its practical lessons and indeed lord we pray that we will not be forgetful hearers that we'll walk out of this room to be doers of the word let us find our place in your work this week lord there are menial tasks to be performed and there are spiritual missions that you'll call us to uh, perform there are people that we will meet this week that we maybe never met before and it will be our grand privilege to represent as ambassadors for christ a kingdom that is to come so i pray lord that you'll inspire us and get us ready for that and fill us up with your spirit in jesus name Amen. We invite you to accept the plan of salvation that God has laid forth from the foundations of the earth. And the first point of that plan is that all have sinned. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So begin by confessing your sin before God, that you have sinned against Him. You can't even recollect all of the times 
that you've offended him. He has the record, and that record needs to be expunged. Secondly, it's important to know that God will punish sin. If it goes without atonement, we will pay the ultimate price. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that eternal price is hellfire and brimstone. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. But Jesus paid the price and made the atonement on the cross. God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. He made an end to our damnation and our debt that we owed to him, paid by his own blood and justifies us before a holy God. On the third day, in triumph, Jesus rises from the dead. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So call upon him today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Come in to